Welcome to Get Amplified from the Amplified Group, the podcast for tech industry leaders and aspiring leaders focusing on extraordinary teams. We're delighted to be back for a second season. We have some seriously exciting guests for you. Um, as always, even pre-COVID, we've been virtual. Um, I'm at home in Bucks. Vicky's in deepest, darkest Oxfordshire. Shah's over in the, in the Netherlands. Um, and I'd like to take time to introduce our guest today, Stuart Fenton. So Stuart is an IT industry luminary. He'll tell us a little bit more about his journey later. I suppose, Stuart, you and I were effectively competitors when you were at Insight and I was at Softcap. Um, Stuart now runs a fantastic business called Quantic that he'll tell you about shortly. So Shah, do you want to give us a bit of background on uh, w- what we're talking about today and, and why we've got, got Stuart with us? Certainly I will, Sam. I'm really excited to be back in Series 2. So today we're going to be talking about building and maintaining a great culture, which in turn leads to delivering great results. So as a team, in other words, what we're saying is, how do you get the entire organisation working together as a team? And I don't know Stuart very well, so I'm really interested in in his perspective on this. Uh, So um, yeah, looking forward to today's episode. Brilliant. Good stuff. So Stuart, perhaps you could give us a bit of background on yourself and your, you know, the journey that I referred to. Clearly, as we were competitors, as you can probably tell, we don't like each other. But <laughs> I, I, I was I was interested with the term luminary. Uh, I was wondering. It, mean, it means you're a shining light of our wonderful industry. I just thought you were going to say I've been around a long time. Um, so the hundred thousand foot view is really, you know, I. I studied um, technology and um, set up my first business whilst I was studying. And I set up a first business kind of in a garage doing software, software development, et cetera, with a, with a couple of other students. And that business evolved into uh, an IT reseller. And at the time, there was this thing called Microsoft Windows. It was very new and shiny. It was Windows 3. And there were applications for it, but not many. So I set up a company that, and I was effectively importing some great software from the US and reselling it in the UK. And I did that for a number of years. We got up to a number of millions of pounds worth of revenue. We were one of the biggest players at the time for Microsoft Office and all the other associated things. And I sold that in 95. And then from 95, largely until 2013, I worked for two very large public entities. One we now know as CDW, although it was through acquisition. So I did um, I did eight years um, running Europe, uh, Canada for a company called Micro Warehouse, uh, which grew and it was about two and a half billion at the point it was sold and broken up and CDW got most of that. Uh, and then from 2002, um, for about 11 years, um, I became the president of effectively all the international operations of um, uh, Insight, which was at the time, Insight was uh, just in North America, so the, the US and Canada. And to an extent, Canada was really just an extension of the US. So they'd done an acquisition in the UK. The UK business was was um, struggling a little bit, a little bit dysfunctional at the time. It had gone through a couple of acquisitions that hadn't gone well. And I went in, I think at the time it was around £171 million worth of revenue. Uh, and we set upon uh, a process of growing that business and doing acquisitions. And, and when I left in 2013, the international business that I looked after, which included all of Europe and all of Asia, was about $2 billion there or thereabouts. Um, and we were in uh, 22 countries, uh, of which 20 of them I looked after. Um, so, you know, that's the kind of 100,000 foot view. And, 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 you know, it was leading and transforming those organizations and going through um, painful things. And actually, that was the experience that took me on my next journey, which was 
um, having looked at this company implementing an ERP and realizing that for years and years I'd sold technology, I felt that you could get closer to the client um, and actually do things more meaningful, much more services oriented. I felt that there was a possibility of doing it better. When I was aware that that business was coming up for sale, um, I worked really hard to buy it. And then by which time it had shrunk because of a variety of reasons. And I bought the company and for the last six years, I've taken what, you know, that business from, from largely zero to the largest, you know, privately owned Microsoft dynamics partner in, in the, in the UK around 250, 260 people will turn over. Fantastic. 30 million pounds, about $40 million next year. We'll do $50 million. We'll be one of the biggest in the space. So that, that's my journey. But the last bit is, is my company. Whereas up to yes. the most of it would have been working for two big American firms and dealing with everything that that entails. Sounds interesting. So while you were setting up a, a software development business in your garage, I was in a, a mate's garage starting bands and trying to be a rock star. So <laughs> probably around about the same sort of time. Mate, yeah, well, amazing, I, amazing what you can get up to in a garage. You, you can't see it right now, but I do have a Fender Strat and a, and, and a guitar and, 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 and a couple of you know guitars and a piano. And I was in a band, a, a really hideously bad jazz band for a few years in that time as well. That's uh, funny. So, so next time, if we ever get to meet post-COVID... Uh, yeah, I'll, we could have, have a jam. Exactly. I'll put the piano on my shoulder and come over because I'm horrible on the guitar. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. I'll stick to bass. Four strings is about all I can manage, I think. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, so thank you for that. That's really good, good background. Vicky, do you want to add a little bit of context to today's uh, conversation? Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. So this podcast came about because uh, I think you did the the suggestion, Sam, because Stuart had posted something on, on LinkedIn about no guilt, um, which we're going to oh, dig into a yeah, little yeah. bit. Yeah, a little bit later. But then hooking up together, really understanding that Stuart really leads from the front and is a great example of, of the leadership and building the types of organisations that, that we are helping other organisations aspire to be. So what what's, I'd really like to, to learn from Stuart today and what I hope we can dig into is, is really why putting that emphasis on building the great culture leads to, to delivering great results. And, you know... The example that that I often giving presentations is three years ago, I realised that my aspiration of gardening and my vegetable plot needed some structure and needed some organisation. And I put an immense amount of effort in to put some raised beds in and to put a framework in place. And that immense amount of effort actually meant that I broke my fork because the soil was that hard. But, But in building this framework of five raised beds what that has enabled me to do three years on I'm, I'm just reaping the rewards of the growth and the harvest that I've had this year when I went to my raised beds in February and thought right I'm going to start here it took five minutes of weeding and I was off on the growing and I think that really relates back to the culture thing because if you can get those right foundations in place then you reap the benefits of it versus just concentrating on on getting those numbers in at the end of the quarter, which so many organisations seem to do. So I'm really interested to to understand how you've done that, Stuart. 
so, I mean, to be clear, for large amounts of my career, I was rubbish at this and absolutely dreadful. And the companies that I worked for were rubbish at it. And, you know, my career had gone through this period of being an entrepreneur, setting up a business and, and, and working for an American company that, frankly, at that time, didn't highly value its staff at all. Um, people were lucky to have a job. I remember even thinking that people were lucky to have a job. You know, they should just do what I need them to do. And I think that you go through that journey. And I had a, sort of, the first epiphany I had was reading a book by Jack Welch back in very early 2000, something like that. And it was called Straight from the Gut. And he talked about, you know, he has his right hand and his left hand. And his right hand man is his HR leader. And his left hand man was his um, uh, uh, finance leader. And, and you, go, you know, at the time, your HR leader was it? your right hand. Really? Um, and, and then he talked about, you know, the culture of organizations. And, and it really did bed into me. And what that bedded into me was process. He, so everything you've talked about, about structure, about things, about having a cadence of meetings and communication and open communication and standing up in front of your team and telling them what's going on and sharing the results. And I think that that, that was my first journey. And then, um, but it didn't get, you know, I, I was still probably a bit too fierce and a bit too, you know, quarterly focus with the numbers and i think again that is the nature of you know american public companies mm. and and we were we measured absolutely everything and if you know stat number 73 was off you'd go around and have some fierce conversations um and it may not have actually been the right thing so i think that second phase came through towards the end of my tenure where you know you start asking yourself a question is do i like working here that often people don't they don't enjoy it and they just kind of they just endure it because of some perceived benefit. I, when I left Insight, I, I didn't enjoy my last couple of years. A variety of reasons, you know, and n- none to cover here. But when I said we were going to set up this company, we looked at this company that we were going to acquire the, the, the assets of, the remainders of. And we said, look, if we're going to do this, we're going to have to do this really properly. And, I, I, you know, I got a couple of people to help me. You know, it wasn't on my own. And, you know, we said, look, we, we want to create a company that we would want to work at if we didn't own it. And that was a real game check. Well, what does that mean? You know, th- because the company we were buying clearly didn't feel that way. And we said, right, we're going to have to do everything. And it, that notion defined everything we did thereafter. All of those foundations. But there has to be something, a, a single value that we as owners had to have with the business, which having worked for other people and other organizations and seen what good looks like and often seen what bad looks like, um, and often it's more bad than good. What we wanted to do is be authentic. And here's where it sounds really naff. We'd worked for people. I'd certainly worked for someone in that latter period and, and I worked with them probably is a better way to say it. And that said all the right things, but there was absolutely no authentic. You know, you'd have that conversation say, Sam, you're a terrific person. We really want your team to do well, really value you and everything. Go back to the office and say, well, Sam's not performing. He's at the bottom of my stack ranking. Of yeah, my stack team. ranking, yeah. And, and yeah. actually, Sam, you know, if you want to hire Johnny over there on the right-hand side because he's really fabulous, Sam's got to go. And, and it created a culture of you know, some people are at the bottom because they're still developing, they're still working, they're still, or they haven't coached. It's not their fault often. They um, need the help. Yeah, and, or you've recruited badly, right? And, and that, yeah. that came to a big part of our journey. And I think that that's, that was the, you know, it, it was how, does it, how do we make it meaningful? Um, you know, no one's perfect. I'm, I'm a million miles away from perfect. But that was that overriding thing, which was how do you make a company you'd want to work at? And from there, it was 
um, it kind of defined all the things that we did with Quantic. What Quantic is, is we implement systems, ERP or CRM systems. And it's my, basically, we leverage the Microsoft platform, Microsoft Dynamics, and associated products in the stack and associated ISV solutions and bring business process solutions and platform and Azure solutions to our clients. Um, and um, to do that, you need a lot of very, very clever people. Um, and that can be engineers and consultants. And they need to go and talk to the clients and be passionate about their business to make sure that you help them, those, those people who are your clients, make their business better. I mean, you, we, can't enjoy, we can't enter their organization, do our project and leave it worse. I mean, you, you have to do a better job. But to do that, then your people have to believe that the outcome is important. So we, we set up a whole thing about creating an organization where we would put our people first, we'd put their well-being first, we would we'd be really open, honest with communication, we'd have no barriers, you know, no offices, everything, you know, everything was open. And that was that was the approach. And then we talk about our clients, and, you know, in, and we created terms to say, look, you know, we're here to make their organization better. And, and therefore, unlike our competitors, we're not here to earn consulting dollars. That is a byproduct of making their organization better. So we really focused on what the, what the end result was rather than the journey. And I, and I think that's really what's helping, you know, to make it, whether it's the, a great company to work, I don't think we're a great company to work for, but we aspire to be a great company to work for. So, but also to be a great partner to implement the systems that they get the thing that they paid for or, or hoped for. Um, and that doesn't always you know, work out 100% of the time, but that is the goal. And I think it's having those values and believing it from the top. That, that's the foundation you know, for, your, for your vegetable garden. But, but you know, yeah. that is that foundation of, of, of what we created. And I think, to be fair, I don't know if I'd done that before. You know, so, Stuart, I, Stuart sorry, sorry to interrupt. I was just going to say that you talked earlier about that you weren't particularly good at this in the past. And... And that's kind of why we do this podcast, because we're talking to people who are maybe just coming into being a leader and, and want to be aspiring leaders. And, and Vicky and I had the same conversation. What, what are our core values, which was spirited, inspirational and authentic to your point? And what we were asking for is that of our clients, which is kind of a little bit of a strange way of doing it. <laughs> and, and that, that makes sense. Still, Life's too short, isn't it? Yeah, but wasn't that great to be able to make that decision? We've walked away from opportunities where we have felt that the client, you know, I don't know how you're going to record this, but I'm going to say it anyway, but the client might be an arsehole. Yeah. And, and we would walk away because, we, you know, no one wants to work with an arsehole. No one wants to recruit no. an arsehole. So, so we've walked away from them. Or in one case, we were in the middle of a project and the client became one. And, and we turned around to them and said, look, you know, it's quite clear that you're not focused on getting this over the line. You're focused on something completely different. We don't know what it is. We're going to step back and, you know, help you find another partner. And we've done that on a couple of occasions when mm. it's quite obvious that the values of the client aren't in line with your, yeah. with your own. And I have the luxury of being my own business, of being able to say to our team, look, this isn't going to work. We're going to make that decision. And they're kind of, you know, this has never happened. You know, why, mm. why would you walk away from, you know, a million, business, yeah. why would you yeah. walk away from a million pounds worth of revenue? <clears throat> the reality is not a million pounds of revenue. Actually, it's heartache, stress, yeah. anxiety, yeah. And, and actually it's just not worth it. No. Well, so people, you know, people leave over stuff like that. You know, it, mm. it's, it's not just about your business being a great place to be. They're, if they're working in somebody else's business, 
they've got to be happy and comfortable in, in, well, we, in that business as well. We were recently working on a very, very large project, a very, very large project, and, and it had the potential to be enormous. And we walked away um, because, you know, very recently because of this problem where, you know, what we were exposed to increasingly was, the best way to describe it is, you know, madness of, you know, you're, you're doing something, you're delivering what they ask for, and they, then they, are, they change their mind what they ask for, yeah. and then they change their mind again and you said well this look we've documented what you asked for now you're asking something different that's fine we can we can change track but you know that that's a painful journey for you you're gonna have to re redo things and you know the client got very upset and was very rude and actually was very abrasive to to some of our people we we actually we said look you know this isn't going to work for us um we'll help you find somewhere else we'll do the handover um and the client was incredulous absolutely incredulous you you can't walk away from us you know, and actually what we found is this, this was this endemic in this organization, which we hadn't really experienced at the outset. Um, now, you know, our business, we're running today, I know, somewhere around 175 projects. Um, and, and I'd say, you know, all of them are absolutely, you know, fine and those relationships are great. But you get one or two every now and then. You will do. You, you, don't, you don't discover it until sometime. And life's too short to take that pain. So, we had this thing where, you know, we put our people first. And if, you know, if we put our people way before the client in terms of hierarchy of importance, um, including, you know, me- mental fitness, you know, w- you know, w- workload and the like, and it doesn't mean that we're not really busy sometimes. And, and when you've got a client that's working in line with you, you can work really hard and you can, you know, really break down barriers and do some really cool stuff. And, and that was what we wanted to do. We wanted to create that feeling on every project. You know, what we found was the biggest thing to get right was recruitment. You know, that was a huge thing when you're building a team. Um, you know, we, do, we used the psychometric testing. That was really important. Yeah. If you build the right team and then you manage or lead them and communicate really well, then, and you value them, then your culture kind of follows you. Culture is not something you kind of design. It's not doesn't work like that you don't sort of put in a piece of paper and say we you know this is what our culture is going to be you just put in some foundations that what makes somebody a good makes it a good environment whether it's you know we do free breakfast in the office and a coke you know cupboard full of free cokes and all that kind of stuff does that these are small things but they're just part of a picture yeah that that doesn't make a culture in and of itself it just once you find the right people once you set the right tone it helps nobody's going to join you just because of free breakfasts No, and you mentioned earlier, Stuart, about HR being the right-hand man. And I think the important thing here is, you know, when when you're recruiting, you do have to recruit against culture and values because they're sustainable, to Vicky's point. Um, Just recruiting against a checklist of skills, you're probably going to have the wrong person and that person's going to leave or they're just not going to fit. Or more importantly, they're not going to do their best for you because they see it just as a job. Yeah, we, um, we use the psychometric testing that really helps us um, identify um, that skill set and, and, yeah. and those characteristics and behaviours. Uh, and you can't get it right all the time, clearly, because you know, not. We, we still have some turnover of staff. But our, our view is we get it right more often than not because we go through that process of, mm. of trying to find people who are diligent, methodical, thoughtful, um, uh, and, and, and whilst... You know, it's impossible to sort of say, you know, we don't want to recruit an arsehole and therefore we use things like, you know, psychometric testing to, to help us do that. I mean, it, it does help. I mean, yeah. It, yeah, it's not absolutely correct, but we've mapped out what we think are the right behaviours. 
and you know if you if you think about um go back to jack wilch i don't know if you ever you know talked about his his grid of behavior and results i don't know if you're familiar with it it's a fantastic grid of behavior and results and i love the fact that you know he said good behavior you know and you go through lots of scenarios but the one scenario that's always gets people make you know bad managers make the bad wrong decision which is you know once you've got somebody who's giving you fantastic results but their corporate their employment behavior is absolutely dreadful and he said it's the most difficult decision and most managers fail to do it but they shouldn't stay because behavior is more important and and i love that statement and i and i believe that we we live it or if we have someone with bad behavior we address it head on until you can fix it if you can't is, then... is it the net netflix phrase no brilliant jerks i think it's netflix yeah yeah well I've, 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 I've not heard that one but you know what that i mean that's the same thing right and yeah and, exactly you know it's um we we do call it the arsehole you know which is we just don't want to recruit one we don't want to have them you know arguably if there is one in the company it's probably me no but what i've just heard from you Stuart, is about practicing what you preach and it's very clear you know, you, you said it at the beginning, so many organisations we've experienced where they write the values and they do a really nice marketing campaign on it and they're up in the kitchen, but actually they're not real and they're not being lived and they're not being demonstrated by the leadership team. Well, we, we have this, we have values as well and we have a mission statement in there. And I, and I look at our values sometimes and do even feel that whilst the team brought them out you know it's you know we inspire we care we reward and the reward for our own people for doing a good job genuinely believe when you ask people what does the company stand for whatever words they come out with as long as they're you know they mean it they mean it that's fine you know and 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 therefore they can they can describe our values anyway they like you know do we inspire people yeah sure do we reward them well yes do we really care about people absolutely but if they turn around and say you know we're a great organization and you know we're we're all about mental fitness or we're all about exceeding our clients expectations whatever that's fine absolutely fine it has to be authentic and at insight we spent an awful long time in a room coming up with what we felt our values were and i felt that at the time they were aspirational Yes. Whereas the values I think we have are actually just a reflection. And that's got to be the difference. You know, if you have aspirational values, what's the chance you get there? And they, they might, you know, insight change their, their values to a different set of aspirational um, uh, values that, you know, people may or may not get behind. But it, you know, it doesn't feel authentic when they're like, mm. it, that, you know, you, you, if I think about Softcat, for example, where, where Sam spent, you know, a good chunk of his career does, you, you, you look at that and you think, well, actually those, that, that company is authentic. It's fun. It's hardworking. It's probably a little bit intense, uh, but they put their customers first. And um, now their values will be described very differently to that. But actually, as long as I believe it, because I've been a customer and I've seen, you know, I've seen, I, I, I've seen, that's probably close enough. That's good enough. And it is a fun place. And, 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 you know, the people do seem to enjoy it, you know, and if there is a high turnover, it's only in that formative period as there, you know, people are coming up to speed, going through that. Yeah, spot on. And thereafter the tenure, you know, the tenure really lengthens and that's because those values are mean, are meant, um, it, you know, it's fascinating. I, I'm not suggesting for a moment we've done it right. We just started from the, the original notion is we want to make it a great company that we'd like to work at. And, and, and funnily enough, that's actually all you need. Yeah, that yeah. makes makes so much sense. And you know that that's you, you mentioned Softcat, and I think that's you know right to do so in that in that context because that's exactly what Peter 
wanted when he set the company up. You know, he'd worked places where he had had a difficult experience and hadn't enjoyed it. And it just felt that you could do it somewhat differently. And you're absolutely right. The whole thing about treating your employees right, your employees then treat your customers right, and you end up with a decent business rather than starting from a standpoint of we're going to make X profit or Y profit. or um, it, it really seems to work. It appears that it's not rocket science, and I'm given to understand that there's now a you know, Harvard Business School module on all of that stuff. <laughs> so you know there's actually some business theory behind it now as well as just being the right damn thing to you know I, I look at my past and i know that I, you know I, I haven't been um you know really focused on this as much as i could have or should have in the past and i think i probably did it in really really well by comparison to others um but there are there are there are moments i can look back in my career and think geez i wish i'd done that different or i'd not said that or I'd acted in a different way or I valued that person in a different way than I, than I did. You know, I mean, you know, as long as I, I suppose, as long as I get it more right than wrong, it's okay, but that's actually not good enough anymore. And it's, yeah. it's about trying to be consistently, you know, the best um, that you can be. And, and for us, the culture has been critical. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I don't know if we would have been as successful as we are, without the culture because it's retained some just astonishing yeah. good talent and yeah. it's not just and people who are really committed to the direction of travel yeah and actually that that whole notion of culture is not me sitting around and writing it out and saying this is how it's going to be it's actually that culture is now pervasive and it's created from within the organization because the people that have yeah. joined or developed over a period of time they they live and breathe that same culture and they're the people who turn around i mean we've well, become self-sustaining you know culture culture to some extent, can't be something that you, that that you as the the boss enforce. It has to be something that, yeah, I, you know, you can set set the tone, but it's got to come from everywhere at the same time, hasn't it? It has to come from the top. The, you know, the culture can't be. It has to be authentically led from yeah. the top. But yeah, then set the tone from the top. Yeah, but at, yeah, exactly. But at, over time, it is. It, it then comes from everywhere, um, uh, from all parts of your organisation. Are there are cases of bad companies or companies that with notionally a bad culture who, who can do well. Hey, Microsoft had it, you know, massively yeah. successful for years. There was a, a leader of the business and he and I famously fell out and it was on LinkedIn, actually. Kevin Turner, who was the, um, oh, yes. uh, uh, you know, um, the, the Walmart guy. Yeah. Yeah. Chief operating officer. And, you know, everyone was terrified of him. Absolutely yeah. terrified of him. And he'd come over and rip everyone, you know, to, to shreds. And I remember him, he, he did a post on LinkedIn about, you know, culture and stuff. And I just said to him, why was everyone terrified? Absolutely hated you. And my meeting with you is the most violently aggressive meeting I've ever attended. And, and you know, he, he, you know, he kind of apologized, but in, in, in a way that those people tend not to. And he's gone. That, that, <laughs> that, that whole culture of organized, that, those people have gone. And you look at what Satya has created. Yeah. Look yes. at the share price. Look at the value of the business. Yes. You say it's not culture, it's people. Because it is, it's people. Yeah. I think that, that makes it it's overused isn't it the term culture isn't it so it yeah, might be right I'm sure people really yeah. know what it means i'm you, you yeah. know it's about practicing it's about every day doing the right thing you know we have this thing whereby we say look everyone who works for you and if you're a team leader should have a one-to-one every month at least every month and if you're new more frequently and here is the content of what that one-to-one should look like 
And, and that's really important that everyone does it. How many people have worked at companies where their manager has never sat down with them one-to-one mm. and gone through their personal performance, their personal situation? How well are they, how well are they doing? What does success look like? You know, for them personally. For them personally. That's, and they, yes. they just don't well do it. And then as a team, you know, you sit down as a team and you talk about what are the what does success look like? What are the what are the things? All of that is is a people-focused organization that that communicates well and it's so uncommon in fact i got a lot of yes. that from the jack welch book that i read around to the podcast straight from the gut he, he thought about the people and he, I, you know I, I i really think that you know if you do things right by your people and by your client and and you treat them you know respectfully and with a cadence of engagement you're okay no one's going to be perfect no one's going to get it right i can't say every person who works for me absolutely gets that one-to-one every month it might be this person's missed it for six weeks or something yeah, it slips sometimes, but at least at least you've got that aspiration and that drive in that it's direction. A, it's a rhythm. That's what it is. It's a, yeah, I think that's a great description. Yeah, one of our clients, actually, I, I sat down with the CEO and I was talking to him about culture and what they wanted. And the one thing he said is, I know about the five behaviours. I know that this is a methodology that works. But he said, I now want us to act on it. So every day I want this to be something that we live and breathe and that we do recognise it. So I think that's really important for culture. As you said, it can be an overused term Mm. unless you really just act on it and are conscious of it every day that you're you know inspiring others and you're being that good leader. I think that's really it's self-sustaining then, isn't it? Which is sounds like what you're doing, Stuart. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I, I would say I've had some really tough conversations with people who work for me, even at, even at Quantic over the time. And they'll say, you know, I'm not sure how inspired I felt after missing that particular objective or what have you. Um, as long as you're, as long as you're more often doing it right, that that's important. It, it comes down to being honest and open communication and, and all those kind of things. And, but I do come back to, you know, that book was the start of my journey and I've read lots of these books and, and in the end, they all kind of blur. They're the same thing. They yeah. all do. But collaboration is a key part of success, that's for sure. Which I think also, you know, you can't collaborate if you're a, a Netflix jerk. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I would have been, you know, if you ask people about, you know, me back in the inside, there's a, there's a recruiter that we all, the whole industry use, Mark Sumner, Robertson Sumner. Really, oh, yeah, yeah. Really, really nice guy. And he always says, you know, Stuart, you've got such a fierce reputation. And I say, why? And it's actually a handful of people that I haven't been the way I would like to be with, you know, and, and, you know, that, 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 that was a terrible mistake. And I wish, you know, you 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 should go back to them, Stuart. You should do that whole, you know, knocking on the door and uh, admitting your past mistakes, like some kind of relationship counselling. Well, you know, um, to, to, to a degree, I have done that. So my, the, the CIO and who looks after managed services in my business, I fired him from Insight. And there was a thing that failed and I held him responsible for it. And then when I set up Quantic, I went to him and, and he disliked me intensely after that moment. Um, Which is kind of understandable, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I didn't deal with it in the most perfect way at the time. And I went to him and I said, look, I, I'm sorry. You know, I, it was a project that didn't work out and, you know, I didn't, you know, take, I didn't do the right thing. And, um, you know, and I know that and I want to work with you again. And, um, 
you know, I think these are the things that you did brilliantly well. These are the things that you do do brilliantly well. And these are the things I'd like to work with you. And, you know, he's been with me on that journey for six and something years. And he's still what a fantastic story. He's still with it. And I'm sure if you've got him on here, he's a fantastic person, but you know, he, he would, he would tell you that he didn't feel good um, um, at, at, at that time. So I think to, to your, to your point, I've done that. Not in every case, you know, um, not in absolutely every case, you know, I, there was, there's one person I particularly didn't get on with and I just wouldn't want to contact them. Um, but I didn't behave in a, in, in a way that I would like, but I know now if I were to approach that now, I would approach it very differently. You know, and I, I mean, here I am in my fifties, um, early fifties, I'm hasten to add, but I'm in my fifties <laughs> and, and it's taken me this long to recognize, to say that, you know, if I had done these two or three things earlier, you know, I, I, I would have been either a more successful or, or, um, be, you know, better to work with. And uh, which would have been which would have been better for everybody else. It's so it's wonderful for you to share this because that's that's the purpose of our podcast is to share this and this hindsight that we all wish we'd had. The, the yeah. one thing I wanted to um, talk about was you you mentioned um, earlier your assessments, your testing, mm. and you know I think they are absolutely critically important, and that's what we do. What we do is we have a process, and we start with that because if you can, to your point a second ago, if you can understand your personality type, really understand it, and then understand the other person's personality type, we've come across people where we th- we say, oh, we. We just couldn't get on with them but there's got to be a reason behind that and it's usually because maybe they've just got an opposite personality type or exactly the same but if you learn how to adapt yourself and to face them and say why aren't we getting on what's going on here I can, I can guarantee you'll find a way of working better together we, um, and we, we do that every day with our clients it's really quite fascinating and, 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 you know, that exercise, I mean, we did something um, a year ago, oh, it must have been three years ago now, where we got the leadership team in a room. And, and I think we have a very good leadership team, certainly for the size of organisation we have. I think I've got a world-class uh, leadership team. But there are very different personalities. And we, we used, you know, this, this, this person I've used for years, Kevin, to, to help us sort of align our behaviours and how we approach things. And then you could see where there was conflict, where people were, were very different. And, and, and this is how we changed how we use the psychometric testing to make sure that you were looking for people who were, not, who were less dictatorial and more collaborative in their approach. And you could do it. You, you know, some people, you, you, you can tell them that you know, you, this behavior isn't going to work and you need to change. People often can't. Um, but this, we, we identified something and, and it was a really fabulous moment and what we realized that the person who was quite different on our team to the rest of us actually never took bad feed, ne- never took feedback badly. Yeah. So we had this thing where, you know, something was a little bit prickly, a little bit f- fractious, but no one wanted to address it because no one wanted to offend each other because we're a nice, warm and cuddly, yes. you know, collaborative team. And through this process, we, we realized it didn't take feedback like that. So everyone then told him, we went, no, you're fair. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I need to change. And immediately, Problems went away, and and, yes. and it's fascinating. And I think if if, yeah. if 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 your organization does that well, it was a super simple exercise that probably helped our last three years grow faster because we were under we were able to give each other better feedback. You know, typically yes. a sales organization doesn't get you know 
doesn't get on with any other part of the organization. Every other part of the organization is a barrier or a hindrance to the success of a sales organization. That is, that is always the way. Exactly. You know, salespeople who often are. Sales are king. Well, show me a qualification in sales. They're the least qualified people to do the role for which is considered a profession, right? Whereas the operations guy often has, you know, operation skills and certifications and ISO 9000 and all that kind of stuff. There isn't in sales. And so what we realized is that relationship between them needs a lot of work. And, and that was really important. And that's what we uncovered through those. So if Amplified does those kind of things, it's huge. We absolutely do. We do. And, and actually, the thing that's just come back to me that I was thinking about was talking about you being fierce. Actually, one of the most important things is to be able to give people feedback. And part of what we do is about learning about how to give feedback and holding people accountable. Because if you don't do that, and they just get to the end of the day and you fire them and they don't know why they've done it wrong. You've not, you've not given them the chance to learn. It's not fair, is it? No, we're, no it's not. We're, it's really we're, huge fan, we're huge fans of the deficit model. Are you familiar with that one? No. No. Uh, so we, 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 we use the deficit model. It's really important. So deficit is an acronym. So D stands for describe. So describe the situation. So I can yeah. describe Sam, you're not achieving your, uh, uh, your goals. And as a result... I wish you stopped uh, picking on me. That's easy. <laughs> okay, so I'm not, I'm not going to forget. And then E is evidence. So then you provide evidence. And on these six occasions, and here is the data evidencing that you've not achieved what you set out to achieve and you've covered it up. And then F is feelings. I'm going to tell you how I feel about this. I, I feel like I can't trust you, Sam, for these four reasons because you're, you're actively working against it. I is the implications of this, which is, you know, if we can't solve this... Sam, we're going to have to part ways and you you have to leave unless we can get through it. C is contribution, my contribution. So I come say my contribution, Sam, is I've not brought this to you early enough. I've not explained that my concerns here, I've not shared with you. And then the last I here is intent. What do I intend to do? Well, actually, I want to give it a chance. I I want to see if by being really candid with you, is that we can get through this really quickly because often everything is down to a single moment, a single decision. Relationships can change on a dime. You know, the, it takes the biggest, boldest, bravest, strongest person to admit that they've made a mistake yes. and say, how do we work together and solve the problem? And then the last T is turn it over. So that whole first bit is me talking to Sam. Sam's not allowed to come back. And then T, turn it over. That. Yeah. And that, that is a fantastic model for for giving Frank uh, uh, feedback. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. It's, in the, yeah. um, it's in the Leadership Challenge, uh, a book, Leadership Challenge, fantastic book. Right, Again, thank you. So we, we use um, Radical Candor. Have you heard of that? Have you seen the video uh, yeah. on that? I haven't yeah. seen the video, but I've read. Yeah, um, the, the video of it is just five minutes. Um, but, but, and, and my pricey of it is if you've got parsley in your teeth, you want someone to tell you. If you're doing something wrong, how on earth do you learn unless yeah. somebody tells you? Yes. And, we and talked I, about those models, didn't we? They're, they're all very similar, right? You know, ours is the foundation is trust. Then once you've got trust, then you can have conflict. You're open, you're robust discussions. You've all got a voice. And then you can commit to the idea or the project. And then you can hold each other accountable. And then you get the best results. That's the five behaviours. Fundamentally, it's the same thing. It's about 
understanding that you're all human, that you have sometimes some weaknesses and that you can call them out and you're not going to feel uncomfortable with each other because you've got that foundation of trust. So it's all um, it's all built on something that we say is not rocket science. Yeah, it, but it, it, isn't, it isn't rocket science. It's trying to distill down stuff that you learn through experience, through the pain of doing it and getting it wrong and getting it wrong again and then get maybe getting it slightly less wrong. And, you know, if you can distill that down into a set of phrases or a terminology or a toolkit or something and hand it down to people so that they can't make the mistakes that I certainly made in the early part, and probably the, the more recent part of my career as well, that's got to be good, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah you Stuart, you've been, ve- you've been very open about uh, about some of the ways in which you behaved and, and some of the mistakes that you you made you know i've done some of the same exactly the same stuff i'm sure we all do i think yeah. i think if, if I, I think large most organizations need help that's the truth yeah. and and the, what you provide is a mirror right so you provide a you mirror do. you provide a look let, let us reflect back to you on what we see and here are the three or four or seven coping strategies that you can use and, and I've been a big fan of that. Now, you know, I, I think that the kind of skills that you're bringing to organizations today didn't exist five, six, seven, you know, 10 years ago. They just didn't exist because, because it wasn't, it was, there wasn't a, a, a simplistic approach for dealing with this. You know, when you would bring in McKinsey or Bain to look at your business mm-hmm. problems, they would turn around and say, well, actually, you're marketing to the wrong client or, or you know, they, they, they would use these incredibly clever geniuses who, who were sort of 22. Overcomplicate years. things. Yeah, you know, a partner would come out and say, I can absolutely see your problems. We can really help. They get all these kids who straight out of university with degrees for MIT who analyze your business to the nth degree and come back and say, actually, uh, the answer is 42. And, and you'd be looking at that, you know, that, that's the um, that's meaning of life. But the answer is 42 and you need to do these 42 things. And it, it never was, right? Yes. And, and, and up to a point, I mean, you know, at um, a micro warehouse that became CDW, we brought, in, we brought in McKinsey and this is back in the late yeah. 90s. And these people were really smart and they analysed business. And I remember, I remember hilariously, we, um, we, we used to do lots of direct marketing. Back in the day, people you did a lot of direct marketing. Yeah. Different, on every catalogue was a different phone number. Why? Because you can always trust the salespeople to tell you which marketing piece the customer was reacting to. So you do it based on the phone call data and say, you know, they, right. this, this many cat, this, this number was dialed by this many people and this, and you got all this data and McKinsey came along. So it's far too com- confusing. You need one number and that would change. The and you'd say, well, actually this is going to kill your business. And, and from an analytics point of view, they, they were quite right. It was an expensive process. Of course, they didn't understand didn't, the business, business now. Yeah, no, they didn't understand the business. And, and, but in exactly the same way they didn't understand the business, they actually didn't understand the people. And they had no clue that actually fundamentally the problems were the leadership team all hated each other at that moment yeah. in time. Yeah. But not just like a little bit. I mean, violent. <laughs> and they were all backstabbing each other at the time. And it was, it was a horrific and, and, and no one trusted anyone. Everything was about undermining the next guy. And you'd speak to one person who was undermining this. And yeah. you know, I was in Europe. We, we'd come over to the US and, and, and you'd hear all this stuff and you'd go back and go, my God, you know, that's really dysfunctional. And, and then wonder why the business wasn't successful. No, it was, it's, it's, it was yeah. the wrong thing. You know, it was the um, wrong thing. 
McKinsey brought a book out last year, and I'm trying to remember the name of it. It's down on my desk downstairs, but it, it it's about transformations, and they're basically saying in their last twenty years of doing transformations, eighty percent of them will fail if you don't put an equal focus on the people that you do actually on the transformational things that you're doing to the business. Yeah. And they said you do, and it's not about outsourcing this people thing to HR. It's about the leadership team embedding that in everything they do. And I, yeah. uh, so they've, they've come around. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. As I was, as I was leaving insight, they brought in Bain to do one of those examples and it was exactly the same. They did all these surveys and everything. And luckily I left as it was happening. And, and uh, one, one of Sam's colleagues, James Baker was kind of, Oh the, yes. I know yeah. Yeah. James was dealing with it. And, and, and at the end, you know, the answer again, it was one of those things and the answer is 42 and off they went and they left and everything. And I spoke to the lead partner and I said, what do you really think the problem is? Cause I don't think it's 42. And he said, no, no, it's this guy here. He said, he's the problem, but he was paying the bills. Yeah. So we can't do anything about it. Yeah. Hilarious. And yeah. fa- fascinating. <laughs> and, but you know, ultimately we're there to make money. So, yeah. And yeah. so, so I, I, you know, I do believe that what comes down to people, I think what you do is is everybody, every team needs somebody to reflect back to them and say, this is what you really look like. And these are the four or five causes for it. And here are the three or four coping mechanisms. And I think that I think that every organization needs, and even organizations like ours, I think we do it well. We still go through a process regularly yeah. of bringing um, the same, we, we use the same consultants. It sounds very similar. Yeah. We use some regularly to come in and say, actually, this is, this, you know, here is the problem. Here's the mirror. And, 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 and yeah, exactly. And it can be, and it, but it doesn't manifest it quite so directly. It uses uses exercises to then manifest it. And, you know, and I remember him saying that we're going to do this exercise. We're going to, we're going to do this and we're going to build this and build that. And through that process, we'll learn. And we got to the end of the process and he said, you guys can't work together. <laughs> you got, and this is a prior company you guys can't work together and actually we realized that you know there was a problem with two people we, 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 yeah. we need to make those changes yeah we, yeah we do it through exercises as well and we were only talking to somebody the other day that was saying like you do bringing somebody from the outside like us in is much easier because you you just can't see it when you're in the middle of the storm that's right. And also there's no emotion, right? So if you come mm, in... Exactly. They can hate us, it doesn't in, matter. Yeah, exactly. And you're not in, you know, exactly. Emotion's a really terrible thing and, and, and we can't eliminate it from human beings and we don't want to. But sometimes you need someone to come in and say, look, you know, actually, these are the six things that, you know, Sam, you need to do differently. Otherwise, yeah. you know, you're going to destabilize... Picking on me. He's picking on me again. Right. <laughs> and... and, and you know, and I think that we've had that, and and much of that feedback has been, you know, in in my past has been pointed to me, and that you know that I am, you know, I was very, I'm very direct. You know, I tell people exactly what I think, and I've learned over the time that, you know, there are better ways to do it. You still tell people as you talk about it, you know, that 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 candor, um, but but you you do it in such a way with structure. That's why we use the deficit model. You use the candor. Yeah. Model. yeah. It doesn't really matter what you use as long as you remember it. And I, I you know, I, you know, I, I. I, I stick to what I know, um, and, and and it works. It does work. It doesn't mean it's easy. In fact, you know, can yeah. you have be, to keep be, working at it. Yeah, yeah. So, so you know, you, you, you absolutely do. And I think that creates the culture. You know, so um, it, you know, in any organisation, if you if you want to um, create an environment of trust, you then have to demonstrate trust. You have to give people responsibility. 
and and then collaborate and communicate with that rhythm of engagement to understand that that is the right thing to give them that responsibility um uh, you know and empowerment and i think that you, you and you have to take risks you have to you have to take risks but you have to make sure that people understand what they're what, what success looks like. And if you can show people what success looks like is you build a team and you keep a team and you and you deliver good outcomes to the client and, and here are the f- three, four metrics that we use. Funnily enough, profitability is our lowest metric, right? And that's what mystifies our competitors who are focused 100% on build, build, yeah. build. build. I'd, I'll sacrifice margin to keep a client happy and I, I could care less about it. And yet we probably make more margin and in a percentage terms than our competitors because we get it right first right. time yeah. rather than yeah. get it right the seventh time. Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. That makes, that makes an awful lot of sense. So, Vicky, you guys have got a system to kind of check in on this stuff and help customers with it, right? Yeah, so the, the Pulse Survey um, is something that we do. And actually, um, we've just done it for another cl- a client recently, um, company-wide. And when we showed it to the HR team, they said, use Stuart's words, actually, they said, "This is we, we've got a mirror now to take to the leadership team. And we can see where we've yeah. got... And, and the common themes running through was, was quite fascinating. I've been doing it. I've been absolutely loving it because the insights it's given us has just been incredible. Well, so If you can tie that with a net promoter score, I still come back to yeah. the, the net yeah. promoter score being, I think it was Dr. Fred Reichman, some <laughs> gap years yeah. ago, who came up with the, the survey. Made a blooming fortune off it. He did. He did. But, you know, and he captured everything into a single metric. And I love that. Yeah. The problem is once you've got that single metric, you don't actually know where the problems are. No. So you can find out that you've got a really no, low net promoter score, but you don't know why. We, we, did, um, we did NPS Insight, and um, you'll be f- broadly familiar with the scoring. You can go plus and minus. And yeah. minus. We're familiar with it with politicians uh, all being negative. And we did, <laughs> we did one, and uh, yeah, one country was, you know, plus 20, plus 30, plus 40, plus 50, whatever. It, and then we had one country. I'm not going to name the country, um, Switzerland. Uh, and and it was it was minus eighty, wow! And it was like minus eighty was the net promoter score, which is basically everyone wants to kill themselves and leave. Mm. And, and, and but it didn't tell you why. So something like right. the pulse yes. yeah. explains yes. why. And it's one married to the other. You know, one yes, gives it was single metric, and the other yeah. gives you gives where you the, the problem is. And, yeah. and that is really important. And, and we've got the context of that, yeah. so yeah. it's going to be really yeah. great to be able to take it back. So and yeah. the dip- the difference with the the uh, I'll I'll pronounce this differently because obviously Vicky being from the north she says pulse I don't know how you say it now but the pulse survey that we did <laughs> with the client what we what we did is not only just do that net promoter score piece the the ta- you know the very tangible tactical scoring piece but we we actually tailored the questions very much around what they were trying to get out of it so what's the end what are you really trying to learn here from the people that work for you so we spent a a lot of time um, actually tailoring those questions so that we could really get to the bottom of what was happening in there and I think that's the difference between doing a standard pulse survey that everybody whenever you ask a company do you have a pulse survey they say yeah we do we do it all the time. But actually, when you dig down, that pulse survey means nothing because there's mm-hmm. no real detail in there. So what the pulse survey that we have and we do with clients is very much tailored, tailored. to their yeah. needs. 
um, and then you get a very different result. You're also always going to find something. There is even yeah. the most perfect organization isn't perfect. Yeah. There is always something that you can learn from it. And then the reality, I, I, you know, we, we used to do big surveys in these big American companies and you, we, we asked a thousand questions and it became a sea of information that you couldn't actually decipher. So yeah. then, you, then you go to the NPS that gives you your single metric and, and you need something that can, you, can, you can focus on and identify a handful of the most important areas very quickly. And I think that if, 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 you know, if the Pulse survey does that correctly, then you can act upon it. There's nothing worse than having a survey that has this 273 things that you need to get done by, by mm-hmm. next Friday to be successful. There's three things that's come out of this. That's right. And, and, and you, yeah. know, you know, whatever the top ones are and whatever mm-hmm. the most impactful ones are, and some things you can't fix, right? You know, you can't always fix everything. Um, I, you know, I find, I find that fascinating. It's great that, 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 that you can provide that service. I'd say, I'd say doing that well and then reflecting it back to the leadership team in such a way that th- no one wants to hear the kids are ugly, right? So <laughs> anyone who's a manager or a leader, you know, wants to think that they're doing a good job. Even they might even acknowledge they can do certain things better. They don't actually want to see something that says your kids are ugly, that, that mm, something's yeah. really terrible. They don't really want to do it. And so the way that is handled is incredibly important. And yeah. if, if that's what you do, you know, if that's what you can bring to, to companies, you can make a massive difference in, in a short yeah. period of time. Yeah. I, gu- I guess you. if you're, you're an external agency, you have, you have the ability to call someone's baby ugly as the terminology. But the critical yeah. thing for us is if you think about our focus, which is building high trust cultures, the critical thing is you don't take this information and, and then go into blame culture. You take it and go, OK, what do we learn from it? How can we help each other yeah. get better? And it's the, it's the approach to it that's really important. Right. So would you, give us, would you give us three takeaways on what you've been through, your culture? Oh, come I know, on, how are you going to set all of that? Okay. Uh, I, 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 think, I think that if you, if, you, if you go say put your people first, um, I think that's really important. Yeah, and, I we agree with it, that. We, we call it team. Put your people first. Um, be open and honest with your communication. Focus on collaboration, removing hierarchy. Yeah. So if you put your people first and you're open communication and you f- focus on collaboration, you can't go too far. Jeez. I love the idea of, you know, organizations have a hierarchy, which is really a hierarchy for getting stuff done, but it isn't necessarily a hierarchy for how people work together. Yeah, I, you know, I spent most of my career with an office and, and you know, at, at, at Insight, I had this enormous office with a meeting table in there and, you know, it, you know, it was the big room and all this kind of stuff. And now I just puke when I think about it. I sit on the, yeah. on the open floor in a hot desk with everybody else. Yeah. And if I need a meeting room, I go to it. Awful. And I'm a, I was guilty of, 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 of doing it. And I, yeah. you know, you people say this rubbish about, oh, my door's always open. Bullshit, you should have no door. So it brings us right back to the very start that, to me, anyway, in my head, is our tagline is transforming talented individuals into extraordinary teams. You can be the biggest and the best talented individual, but unless you can work together with the rest of the team and put the effort in to get to know them, to work well with them, to make it all happen, you won't have that extraordinary result at the end of it. So it's, it kind of brings us full circle, which is really interesting. Yeah. So, Shah, I think we should we should probably do hero time. 
we should yeah and I, I guess because this is series two and hopefully the people from series one are still listening but maybe we've got some new listeners um i'm gonna explain why um hero time so we created hero time based on the the actual image that we've got the brand that we've got for amplified group is a little stick man and his name is hero and the whole premise of it is that we're actually making our clients the heroes because they're recognizing that their teams are really important to them and what they do within their organization and how they keep their organization fit is really important to them. So they're the heroes. Um, but we thought with the podcast, what would be lovely is at the end of each podcast, we ask our guests to tell us who's your hero of the moment. The hero of the moment is my wife because yeah, you know yeah. she is juggling the kids she's juggling you know other things going on in in her life we've got kids going to different schools you know you've got one you're homeschooling and she's you know doing that the other one we're trying to organize with his science project which is in front of me perfectly produced and and you know without her i couldn't do the things so of course she's my hero at the moment and you know today i'm actually having to do some of the tasks that she does and i find it bloody difficult and she makes it all these things seem rather easy so um, that's my hero of the moment, but it would it'd be, it'd be on, a, on a different day. I mean, she'll always be one of my heroes because if she hears this, that would have to be the case. But <laughs> I'm not an idiot. So thank you, Stuart. That was truly fascinating. What an episode to kick off the new season of Get Amplified. Um, thank you very much. Cheers for being part of it. And thank you to our listeners who've rejoined us for Series 2, and we hope you continue to follow us. Mm-hmm.